One of the things I appreciate about our church family is the way you sing. And, and your, your troopers on both ends of the uh, style spectrum. You've, you sing, once you learn it, you sing it. And I, uh, I appreciate that. That's very encouraging to me. I get to sit, sit up at the front and listen to you. And a lot of you guys don't even notice how well you sing because you're, you're at the back. Move up front. You got, it's not, you're not singing for me. You're singing for Jesus. And, uh, but it's, it's encouraging, it's edifying, it's strengthening, and I'm thankful for Greg and the crew, for Zach and Allison, and for others who fill in along the way and help out in those ways uh, every week. Um, there's always something that needs to be fulfilled, something that needs to be done for the church, done in the church, and we see we want to make disciples, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about today in, in this passage um, to tell you the truth, I kind of slowed down, I think I might have mentioned it last week, but I slowed down in Acts chapter 2, which is not my M.O. I usually try to truck through because everybody, I, I, I've seen those verse-by-verse preachers that send, spend four months on one word, and I, you know, I bore myself after a while, you know, just talking about those things. But um, with Acts chapter 2, a lot of things happened. You know, at the beginning, we see the, the Spirit fall upon the church and empowers the church. And, and then we see Peter, in that message that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, preach the gospel in front of the same people he denied Christ. And then finally, at um, last week, we saw how the people responded, right? That once they heard the word, their hearts, it says, their hearts were cut, so their hearts were pricked, whatever translation you're looking at. And, um, you know, God is at, at work through his word. And a lot of the things I listened to this week, the sermons I looked at, things I read, I've got an interesting quote that applies to this passage, and I probably wouldn't read it except that it does apply to what we're talking about today. I'm going to read it a little bit later, but looking at how God works through his church. And, and yeah, I kind of threw out that question to the kids intentionally because it is a bit of a trick question in our minds. We tend to think of the church as a place, a place where we go and then, um, you know, go to church. That, it's not a bad thing to do. It's a pretty good habit to be in. But that is not, this building in itself, in the absolute definition of the word, is not the church. This is where we gather. And we have church houses all over our, all over our city, all over our world. And a lot of resources of the church have gone, in, gone into facilities. And good or bad, that's not really the point. The point is, is that we are gathering together to magnify the one who has saved us. And churches can meet in buildings like ours. They can meet in school cafeterias. They can meet out on the lawn. I've heard stories about churches in, uh, in, in dark parts of the world that have to meet in secrets. You know, all these different kinds of things. We, we tend to have a very Western freedom mentality when it comes to the church. But really, that's kind of recent, you know. That, in, in world history, the, the church has faced some issues through the years. And we should not be surprised when we end up facing those same kinds of things. Anyway, as the body of Christ, we see early on that the churches did certain the church sorry churches the church did certain things together 
And we're going to look at that today, the response to Peter's message when they heard, and then 3,000 people were baptized in one day. Again, let that, we tend to throw out numbers. Think about that for a minute. 3,000 people in one day, 3,000 souls. God was doing special in, something special and unique through that early church. And it was growing exponentially, not just multiplying, but exploding. And that was a beautiful thing. And they just didn't fit in the building very well that day. Right? Wait a second. They didn't have one. They were wandering through Jerusalem telling what Jesus had done and going into the temple and talking about the fulfillment and, and bringing glory to God and at the same time running into all kinds of challenges along the way there. This is a familiar passage. I've preached it more than once. I actually have notes in my Bible from preaching it over four weeks in November and December, just a year and a half ago in 2021. And I can tell you I've preached it more than that along the way. This is a passage that has been used throughout church history, even modern church history, as a model for how the church should function. And I've had conversations in the last couple of months and talking about the book of Acts. We tend to, to see the, the Bible as a rule book, and this is the way it has to be done through that. The book of Acts does have some of those moments along the way, but this passage is more descriptive than prescriptive. It describes what was happening in the body of Christ and how it grew. And I'm going to tell you, they didn't have a lot of committees. They didn't have a, you know, a fancy outreach program. They weren't you know, distributing things in any kind of structured way. They were just following Christ. And we see a lot of great things happen. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2 today. We're not going to spend four weeks here this time, I promise. Let's stand and spend the next several minutes looking at this last section of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord, I thank you for your spirit at work. I thank you for your wisdom and your guidance. And I pray, God, that we, we set our hearts on you to learn your word, to live your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, guys. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The priority of these early believers was to hear what the apostles had to say about Jesus. And... In, in the free church tradition, in the Baptist tradition, this is one of the reasons we have our buildings set up the way we do. The pulpit's in the center. Some of you have may, may have been in other churches where you might have them everywhere and anywhere. 
But one of the, the historical distinctives, is pr- particularly in our tradition, is that the primary thing we are here to do is to hear from God's Word. And so we see the Word of God at front and center. It's not about a piece of furniture that you place the Word of God on. This pulpit is here. I like it because I can hide behind it a little bit. It's big, but you're going to go to other churches that have clear plastic ones. I served in a church for six years that have one. Clear plastic one. You're going to go to some that have a music stand, some that just have a table. It doesn't matter the piece of furniture that you put the, the Bible on. It matters that you, have, you realize the centrality of the Word of God at work in our lives. And that was the first thing the church was doing together. They were looking at the Bible, and they were learning what the apostles had to say. Remember, we didn't have the rest of this <laughs> then. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church began, and the rest of this, pretty much, not all of it, pretty much happened during the book of Acts. Think about that for a minute. You get a little later, the revelation obviously happened after that, but... But we see that God, at work in us, he, he puts together the apostles' teaching, and that's how we get the Scriptures. Because they had the Old Testament at that point, they had what they were called the, the Scriptures, or uh, you know, the, a dozen different names they could have called it in history there. They used the prophets, they used the law, they used the Psalms to describe who Jesus was, in fulfillment of all that had been predicted. And that's what they were using when they talked about the apostles' teaching. They said, this is what Jesus had to say about that. And look in all these different places. And Peter's already done it in chapter 2. He pulls passages from the Psalms. He pulls passages from the prophets to describe who Jesus is and what he is doing now through the church. So the scriptures now are are of priority. The teachings of the apostles are priority. And what we hold in the remainder of the New Testament is the apostles' teaching. Primarily Paul. Paul writes 13 out of 27 of the books in the New Testament. My New Mexico math doesn't put quite that at half, but you might as well say it. He writes half the books that are there. Some of them are longer. Some of them are shorter. Some of them are great sleep aids. Some of them really jump on you. Actually, all of them are both, really, when you get down to it. We can, we can go through it dogmatically and not think necessarily too much about it, right? But what, what we see here is the fellowship of the believers, the priority was on the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really what we try to do as a church family. But there are some other things they were doing along the way, and, and we see that uh, some people, you know, through, the, through church history, modern church history, the purpose-driven church uses the five points, the purpose-driven are all pulled out of this passage here. I studied that a lot. They're not wrong, but I don't know if it's a prescriptive way that it, you should lay out the church. It might work in certain settings, but we see that the, the church has shown itself to be, um, what's the word? Resilient. I was going to use a couple other words that weren't quite right. Resilient through history. And, and its resilience is founded upon the times that they return to the Word. Every time the church drifts from the Word, there are problems. 
So it's important in our lives, and it's one of my personal values, to read through the Bible every day. I'm not saying I do it in-depth reading every day, but it's one of my personal values, reading through the Bible every day. It's one of the things I believe you should do because, you know, do you eat every day? I, I know I do. Probably could take a break from that every once in a while. But what does Jesus say about the Word of God after he has fasted for 40 days? That is my food. That is what brings me life. So they devoted themselves to these things. What else did they do in verse 42? The fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word for that. It's a word we like to throw out every once in a while just to sound intelligent, I think. Oh, look, we, we know what this word means. What does it mean? It means a fellowship. It means the people gathered, and, and we're having lunch. Good for us. That's a good thing. But they, they spent time together. They were family together. And I know that for the most part, most, many of our best friends are found right among these people that we're around right now. Not everybody, but a whole lot of them. That fellowship is important. It brings us accountability. It brings us provision. Sometimes you get help from an unexpected place. And it, and it just brings us to a place where we can experience the faithful love of Christ together. Because He is the one that is with us. And then it, it says the breaking of bread. This could mean a couple of different things. First of all, specifically, it could very well mean the Lord's Supper. It could mean that at that moment, they saw the significance of that Passover meal six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks after Christ's ascension. And they see the significance when Christ said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They, they could have done it every single time. Do we know if they did? No. Breaking of bread can also just mean having a meal together. I don't think either one of those is wrong. All of their experience was based upon faith in that moment, reminding them of what Christ had done for them. And then finally, and the prayers. What prayers? Well, we could look at the Psalms. We could look at some of the prayers that Jesus taught, particularly the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11. You can look at uh, all kinds of things that we see show up later, and even in Paul's writings, you see Philippians chapter 2, a hymn of praise. You see 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the hymn of love. I mean, you see all these different kinds of ways that can show up. But we know that in the Old Testament, we have lots of examples of praying. So we can devote ourselves to praying. And what was the product of it? Awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This, again, this moment that had happened just moments before, really, what we're talking about here was a unique moment in history when the Spirit filled the church. It was very different on the day before Pentecost than it was the day of Pentecost. Right? All of a sudden things are different. All of a sudden we see the fulfillment. All of a sudden we see power at work. And, and it can happen for you that way. When you come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden, for lack of a better term, the light bulb turns on. And you think, I've learned all these things. And if you come to faith in Christ after you've learned a lot of things, you go, 
well, now those things make sense. You know, all these things I've been learning through the years, maybe my mom and dad maybe sit in Sunday school and I'm like, these crackers are still stale. (sighs) These fruit snacks have been here for four years, whatever it may be. But the word is taught. The word is spoken. You learn these stories. And then there's that moment of regeneration, that moment where you believe what you've heard. And Christ makes it come clear in that moment. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. God alone saves. He brings that revelation. He brings that clarity. It's about what He has done. So they saw all kinds of different things happening. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We get to that and we go, skip to verse 46. (laughs) Because I like my stuff. And if you're like me, I got a lot of stuff that I don't use anymore. And you got all these different things. What would they do? Well, they would sell it all and they'd share it together. There, historically, there's some really silly assessments of this time. They think that the, there's been statements made that because they, they flooded the, basically the, the church with everything that they had, they caused themselves to be in great poverty. I'm just going to say it. That's stupid. I don't buy that. It does say in, later on in Acts that, the church, that Jerusalem was going through a famine. The church had a problem. They needed, they needed help. And Paul was taking an offering. And those are in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we actually see Paul talking about giving. He's talking about giving back to those who had need within the church because they had that moment of crisis. And the fact is, is that we are always going to have one end of the spectrum and the other. You know, our world, we try to make everything fair. But it never stays that way. It comes this way and that way. And that's just life on earth. It's a broken place. We need one another. And this is the passage I was reading. And one of the commentators I, I read often is a, is a pastor. Well, he's deceased now, but he was once upon a time not particularly long ago, about 20 years ago, he was a chaplain of the Senate, uh, the United States Senate. His name was Lloyd Ogilvie. He's a Presbyterian. I'm sorry. It's going to be okay. But I've got a, co- a full commentary series where he was the editor on it, and I've got another book on Acts, and he wrote both the Acts stuff. He really liked Acts. And one of the quotes I read out of him, from him this week got all over me, and so I think I ought to read it to you. Just realize he stomped on me first. Remember, this guy's been dead for 20 years. This wasn't me that wrote this. A pastor friend of mine serves a small church in a rural community. During the stewardship drive one fall, he went to the local banker and asked for an estimate of the net worth of all his members. I have never done that. First of all, we got too many banks. Second of all, I don't want to know. All right. He announced to the congregation, this guy had some... uh, Guts. There might be a different word. He, he might, hey now, um, 
he announced to the congregation the figure and told them what a tithe of that would do for the mission of that church. The people were both amazed and disturbed. How did the pastor know? The exposure of the resources they were holding back was a telling example of how far we have drifted from the infant church on that Pentecost night. The gift of the Holy Spirit made the new believers free to give away what they had to each other. So, first of all, I, would, I do not have that measure of boldness in my being. Don't worry about me going to talk to the 25 different banks that are in Pueblo and saying, could you give me, do you know this guy? I'm not going to do that. I got better things to handle, okay? However, I don't think that pastor was incorrect in his assessment. Do I think he should have done it? I don't know. But how many of you guys, don't have to raise your hands, got convicted by that? I know I could be, right? Our earthly wealth is just that. It's earthly. And in the body of Christ, we tend to push things towards buildings and programs and things like that. Really, what we need to be doing is pushing it to helping those hear the gospel. You know, and in our church, we tithe forward. We, we put 10% of our, our, our monthly offering forward to consistently to missions projects, and then we give more to our world missions offering and to other times when other people are in need. And our church has been so good to us. I mean, we've been here 13 and a half years, and we've had two kids in that time, and we've had health crises, and we've had housing crises, and, you know, the church owns the house we live in. Thank you. We appreciate that. And all of these different kinds of things, the church shares well. But there's always somebody around us who could use a little more help. And it's legitimate. And I, and I fear that because of our distrust of the world, we are afraid to trust God with what we have. And this isn't about, and in, in, it was mentioned earlier, about the church needing finances. Absolutely. I mean, we got to keep the lights on, keep the heat on, pay for the air conditioning. A couple of months from now, you're going to tell me about it if we don't. Okay? But there's always somebody around us in a great need. And we tend to put our blinders on. And I, I'm exhibit A, you know, holding on to what we think we have to have. God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got all the resources we ever need. And the question becomes, as the body of Christ, this isn't really a sermon about giving, but as the body of Christ, do we trust Him with what He has given us? And I use that language intentionally because it's all from Him. And if you've been here at all, you've probably heard me say, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's about Him. Everything we do is about Jesus. And so when we start talking about sharing all that we have, we have done that as a church family. And we, I think we would be amazed at what we could do if we just recommitted ourselves to it again and examine our own hearts when we give 
It says that in, in that one of the passages that I just mentioned, 2 Corinthians, it says God loves a cheerful giver, not under compulsion. And I realize there's some measure of compulsion when the pastor preaches something, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's, are we obligated to Christ for our very being? Yes. Absolutely we are. But He gave His life freely and asks us to do the same. So that's what we come to here, is that the hearts of the people so were, were so broken, were so changed by the word that they shared everything they had. Now in chapter 5, it gets a little more interesting. We'll talk about that later when we get to Ananias and Sapphira. What's their sin? We'll get there. Come back next time, or in about four weeks, or eight, however long it takes to get there. But anyway, what was the result of their generosity to one another? What was the result of the Spirit at work? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Why do we say thank you to God? It's the example of the early church. You know, why do you say grace at dinner? I remember, when, and I might have shared this before. I know my family has heard it. They've probably heard most of this, unfortunately, for them. Uh, but... When I, when I was a kid, the, the lady who was our babysitter taught us to say, say thanks for our, our meal. And so she taught us a very simple prayer. Little guy, little bitty guy. Thank you, God, for the food you give us today. Amen. And so my parents, I, I, was, I was a talker. It's probably shocking to you guys. My parents said, all right, Greg, you can say the blessing. So I got to the point where I said the blessing. And my brother, if you met my brother, Anybody got an older brother in here? All right, anyway, any of you are the older brother? Yeah. What are you saying? I don't blame him because I said it like this. Thanks, God, for the food you give us today. Amen. I, I knew what I said. The Lord heard the moanings and groanings of my heart. Sometimes the prayers we speak edify the saints around us, though. So we, we take those moments and realize that God has set the example through the church. We realize the reason they said thanks was because they knew where it all came from. The reason we have the church is because God has made it happen. The reason we have our church is because God has made it happen. Okay. They received praising God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The effect of seeing God at work brings people to salvation. So that is actually the challenge. I mean, there's plenty of challenges through this passage. But the fact is, are we letting the Spirit work through us? And how do we know the Spirit's at work? We live by His Word. It all starts back at that. I shared the story in the bulletin for the three people that actually read it. You might have had a chance to read it this morning. Um, when we did the, the, the Roast the Pastoral Candidate session downstairs in the Fellowship Hall, which uh, one of the reasons I haven't touched my resume in 14 years is because of those. Anyway, um, the... Uh, that one of the questions that was asked of me, well, what about the name of our church? I don't know if I was ready for that question. But we had 
some folks who were very committed to particularly different aspects of the, of the name. And I said, here's the deal. And this is still true, and I said it, I wrote it down, so it must be true. Anyway, didn't come to pastor a name. Came to pastor a church. God called me here to pastor a church. And whatever that means, we need to be obedient to what God has called us to do. There is nothing fancy about any church's name. As a matter of fact, as I see new churches start along the way, this has nothing to do with Lake Avenue. Anyway, it's fine. The name is fine. But some of the names I see are really weird. What was one I saw this week? I've already forgotten it. It was so, so profound, I forgot it. The name we need to be concerned about is not the name on the sign. It's the name in our hearts. It's Jesus. There are certain aspects of a name that you choose for a reason. Ultimately, it's about who you honor. It's all about Jesus. Didn't make him, I mean, anytime you make a historical move like that, you know, we had a couple of guest preachers that have been associated with our church in the past to come in that Sunday and talked about it and rededicating the name of it and, and all these different kinds of things. It, those things are fine. But ultimately, it has everything to do with who we are and who we serve. We come back to that today. We, we were thankful to the Lord for continuing to work through what we call Aberdeen Baptist Church. And there are certain distinctions we hold as Baptists, you know, immersion baptism, our Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's not something that saves us, but it's a reminder of who saved us. Uh, Baptist distinctive is that we are devoted to the Word of God. That's the reason our building's kind of laid out the way it is. There are a lot of things about that. But my desire, looking forward, in the time we've already been here, and thinking about all the things we've done, all the things we've tried to do, is that we love Christ. And through that, we love one another. And that, well, we've heard that before. Yeah, how many times do we need to say it again, though? To show our community, immediately around the church, it's a neighborhood called Aberdeen. To show these people who have cast off truth, who have maybe never even heard truth. And I think we need to realize that when we see behavior in the world around us, a lot of people we know may never have even have any point of reference for what the gospel actually is. Who Jesus actually is. And that's just the culture and the world that we live in. Don't be surprised if people just think Christmas is about a tree and it's Santa and Easter is about the bunny. Because that's all they've heard from the world. Because the world tries to make it prettier. And I know the Christmas decorations are nice and we've got this lovely lily set up here and the beauty of the, the cross, the empty cross that Christ has been removed from and risen from the dead. All of these things are glorious and important. And so many people have no idea what we're talking about. 
How do we, how do we see it happen? We allow God to do it by loving Him and loving those He loves. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks even, I've seen some pretty unlovely things in our world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love verses 17 and 18, and I just thought of them, so I'm going to go read them. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's our responsibility as a glorious offering to our Savior to bridge that gap, to tell them that Christ has paid the price for our sin. Have you received that gift of salvation? If we put this little package here in those who believe and those who don't believe, are you saved or are you condemned? The world says that the church tries to condemn them. The Bible says the world has condemned itself already. And God has called us to be that hand up and out, to tell them about Christ so Christ can work through them through the power of the church, that he is empowered by his Holy Spirit. So as we celebrate and are thankful to God for all that he has done, as we recognize a small moment in history, let's realize that we serve the eternal God, the author of history. Let's pray. God, you're faithful to us. We are unworthy of what you've given us in salvation. And you have just given us so much more materially. And sometimes we put those materials ahead of that gift you've given. Help us to proclaim your goodness. Help us to realize that the church continues with or without this facility, and that your mission goes through your people. 